Adams, Adamly, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. with that mic in your hand. It's time for school. Rock school. With your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. Somebody had to say, why can't I have the playability of a Stratocaster? Because it is. It's easy to play. But the sound of a Les Paul. Just shoehorn in this pickup. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show on the Rock School Radio Network. My name is Joe Burns. You are? Tammy Burns. Well, once again, into the new year, 2024. No shenanigans yet, but then again, it's early in the year. Remember, if you would please, that the Rock School Radio Show is sponsored in part, at least, by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the CPB. That sounded like I was reading it off a contract, didn't it? It did. That was off the top of my head. Maybe I should go into legal stuff next. uh, Are you that smart? No. Now, we're sitting in a studio. I've got a a Wolfgang over there. I've got a banjo. Right There's a Telecaster. That's a Les Paul. That is another Les Paul. That's an ES-335. The one that I don't have in this studio is a Stratocaster. Now, I do have one. It's inside. I just kind of have it sitting as a nice piece. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because this year, 2024, is the 70th anniversary of of the Stratocaster guitar. There's so many people that just believe it is still, to this day, the best engineered guitar ever. I don't. I, I You know what it is about them? Uh-uh. They're too small. I'm, well, you are a big boy. I, I know. I'm six foot four, and uh, I, I saw some pictures of myself playing live. I do have a Stratocaster knockoff, like I said, but it's just not here in the studio. I don't record with it. It's an AXL Badwater, and I saw some pictures of myself playing it live on stage with a band, and I thought to myself, that thing looks like a toy in my hands. I bought that guitar over there. That's the uh, Eddie Van Halen Wolfgang. It's a black fade. And again, it looks like a toy. It's just not big enough. But those who love Stratocasters love Stratocasters. You know what you should do? Buy a Stratocaster? No, you should sell those two. What, the Stratocasters? Yeah. Those are my... You don't know. I'm selling my guitars. No, not me. You. No, no. Let it go. Do you know how many guitars one man needs? One more? Yeah, just one more. That's the joke. (laughs) Now, the thing about the Stratocaster is, and I can't deny this, it's just a physical size thing. I can't deny this. It is so magnificently easy to play. It is cut so the body fits into your body. We're going to talk about this with Les Pauls and, and also the Telecaster and such, but a lot of guitar bodies are squared off. If you look at the side of that Telecaster or look at the side of that uh, over there, the mm-hmm, Les Paul, mm-hmm. when it comes to the side, it it's you know it's a right angle. 
Whereas that's not what the Stratocaster was. It became this flowing thing that almost seemed automobile-like. Oh, Instead of okay. something being boxy like a Yugo or a, right. a Volvo, it, it started to really get pretty. And if you, it's not even just that it's rounded at the horns, which is the, the two things right next to the neck. It's the fact that it's rounded in the back. And, right. And there's a little bit of a rounding on the butt Do of you, the guitar. So your arm good? sets in. Those who love them, love them. And it's one of those things that when you look at the Stratocasters from back 70 years, it's the same instrument as today. No, not the electronics and all that, but the physical shape of the instrument. Right. It, when you look at the front of the chirping crickets, which holds, you know, it's got Buddy Holly holding one. It's the same guitar you can buy today. Buddy so, Holly wasn't a big guy, though, right? No, no, no. It it fit with him. When yeah. you when you see somebody like Tom Schultz of Boston, he's six foot five, and he's got to play a Les Paul. He's got to play a bigger instrument, a three thirty five. It's it it the Stratocaster always feels like a toy mm-hmm. in my hands. However, I cannot disagree with the playability and a bunch of other stuff we're going to talk about. So the question is, you know, happy birthday to the Telecaster. Why did people take to it? And by the way, they didn't take to it right away. But why do people take to it? Why is it 70 years later and it's still such an iconic instrument? Well, that's what we're going to try to get through today. Got to play something. So who would be an iconic Stratocaster player? Why, Stevie Ray Vaughan and the SRV-1 here on Rock School. Out of Stevie Ray Vaughan trivia question, Tammy Burns. Why are many Fender instruments referred to as caster? Stratocaster, broadcaster, telecaster, buh? Uh, Why? I guess it would be the year that they, I don't know, made the car or something. I mean, the car, the, the, instrument? the guitar. Yeah. yeah, well, I think it goes a little beyond that. Now, the Stratocaster was given its name because of the year. But the caster comes from the fact that they are electric guitars and by putting them through a amplifier, they are being casted. They oh, are being broadcasted. That's, school me, mister. Yeah, school that's me. what Leo Fender came up with. In fact, he wanted to call them broadcasting instruments. So the first telecasters were called broadcasters. The problem is Gretsch Drums had a broadcaster. It was a kit called the broadcaster and they Uh-oh. said you can't do that so they turned it into the telecaster 
And then out comes the upgrade to the Telecaster, and a fellow by the name of Don Randall said, why don't we call it sort of a, an homage to airplane flight? Airplanes go up into the stratosphere. Why don't we call it the Stratocaster? There you go. I doubt it was one of those things where, you know, clouds part, angels sing. It was right. probably one of a thousand names that got thrown around, but Don Randall's the guy that came up with it. What is it? about the Strat. Personally, me, I think the biggest success of it was the cutaway, the double cutaway. If you look at a Les Paul, you'll notice on the top of the guitar, as you move your hand up towards the beginning of the neck, up towards the top of the neck, your thumb runs into a flat piece. You only have the single cutaway. You have that on the Telecaster as well. Well, what the Stratocaster did was have those two cutaways. I really think what happened was the people at Fender listened to what guitarists said. Mm -hmm. And this idea of it, it's sharp on the edges, so let's round those edges over. It's, it's weird into your ribs. Well, let's make a small cut there. They called it the gut cut. You know, not that you had a gut or anything, but they made it so it is sort of indented on right. the bags. Uh, what is that? Convex, I think it is. Sure, with or my, concave. Sure, with my giant knowledge <laughs> of physics and such. It was just so darn easy to play. And what a lot of people think is that the Stratocaster just came out of nowhere, and, and in reality, it did not. Do yourself a favor. Obviously, this is a, an audio-only podcast. Go to the Google or the Yahoo I'm if there you want to use it. Yeah, go ahead. And look up 1950s Fender Precision Bass. No, it's not exactly the same as a Stratocaster, but I'll tell you what, it looks like that's where it came from. Freddie Tavares is actually the designer who created the Precision Bass. But it looks like sort of an elongated Stratocaster and also where your right arm rests on the base, there's a, a bit of a cutaway. And it really is just a whack. Whereas with the Stratocaster, it became something that was much more smooth and much more fluid. Also, I think what what was happening at the time, you had really the big guitar maker was Gibson and their big monster was the Les Paul. And what Leo Fender was trying to do was create something to really not only compete, but defeat the Les Paul. So instead of putting big, giant honking P90 pickups in it, he put smaller single coil pickups, which gave it a much tinnier sound, which is why when they started sort of putting it in the hands of people, they didn't put it into the hands of a lot of rock people out of the gate. They gave it to people who are doing country twang. They gave it to people who were doing a lot of uh, chicken picking because it had that beautiful right in the center of the treble sound. And what he did is instead of two, he, Leo Fender, instead of two pickups, he said, well, you know, if two's good, let's do three. And then with the three, created a five-point switch. So you can have the front pickup, the middle pickup, the back pickup, what they call the, the bridge pickup, or you could have a combination of two of them, which put the pickups slightly out of phase. If you've ever wondered why a lot of the guitar work in 
Leonard Skinner sounds a little different than other, it's because they usually played their guitars in the out-of-phase position. So there it was, this new thing that was built for the body, for the person who's playing. Very, very easy access to the higher frets so you could do better leads. You didn't have to pull your thumb down off. Lots more in terms of audio. A lot bigger sounds you can get out of it. So it had to be a hit right out of the gate. But it wasn't. Uh-oh. Uh, and we'll tell you about that here in just one second. We got to play another one. Somebody who is known for their Stratocaster, in the same way Stevie Ray Vaughan created a whole new sound. What about a guy named Dick Dale, who decided to start playing surf music? What was that? Well, it was a heavily distorted Stratocaster. And I'll bet you know this one. Mirsalu. What? Pulp Fiction. Oh, the theme to Pulp Fiction. Yeah, it's called Mirsalu. <laughs> Here you go. Dick Dale on Rock School. few more things about the Stratocaster and you say this is 70 years ago I mean how is it that a guitar in one fell swoop came up with all of these upgrades that are still being used today that's why a lot of people are of the opinion the greatest guitar in the world was created 70 years ago Wow! and there's been very little change to it over the years let me tell you a few more things it had a vibrato on it and some people are like, well, there's been bravados before that. Yeah, the big one was you would put on like Les Paul's. It was called a Bigsby vibrato. And what it did was it, the Bigsby, it relied on heavy springs to pull it back. To which knowledgeable people will say, no, wait a minute, doesn't the Stratocaster floating bridge or vibrato bridge, doesn't that rely on springs as well? Yes, yes, it does. Except what Leo Fender did, and by the way, there are entire websites devoted to this, because what you got when you bought the vibrato on your Stratocaster was something that had gone through about eight different iterations. And it was one of those where we just can't release it because everything we have is not working any better than the Bigsby. And then it was figured out, and I don't have a name of who figured it out, but what the Bigsby does is that when you press it down, springs pull it back into a single place, whereas the Fender vibrato had what they called a fulcrum point. Imagine a seesaw. So instead of it trying to come back to a flat plane, that floating fulcrum was being pulled back by the number of springs that you have. You play strings like like uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, which I, I think are railroad ties, uh, <laughs> the, the heaviest things you can get his hands on. Really? Or if you play 07s, like Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top, who's who's not a big uh, Stratocaster player, I know. He, he likes Les Pauls and, and weird guitars that are made for him, but he plays extremely light strings. So you could have one spring, or you could have three springs. It, it depended. You actually had a way to make that fulcrum work. And the thing is, what the Bigsby could do is sort of that Hawaiian, wow, 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 
Whereas this new one by Fender allowed for a much more extreme dive. As a matter of fact, the first Van Halen album, and no, I'm not going to play a Van Halen song during this show. Aww. Eddie plays a Strat. Eddie plays what we call a mongrel. It wasn't a Strat. It was a different body by a different company, and the neck was different to begin with, and, and we'll get into all of that. But that same general idea of a Stratocaster, uh, with him on Van Halen 1 doing all those yeah. and all of that, there was no locking nut at the top. He was just finding ways. He would, he would shove coins under the thing so really? it would come back. He would heavily oil the nut. He would use WD-40 and such, and somehow it stayed in tune, which is, again, sort of an homage to how great the original of them was. And he was willing to tear the guitar apart. Well, that's half the he... thing. That's half the thing. It, it, you, I like building guitars, but once it's built, it's built. I don't want to go in there with a chainsaw. And uh, the, the, the big thing I'm seeing now on, uh, I guess it's, I guess it's uh, TikTok, but the big thing I'm seeing now is people are saying, well, my Les Paul was way too heavy. So what they do is they take the back of the instrument and they drill out a lot of the wood. No, no. No, no. Just just give the guitar to somebody else. Go away. Go ahead. Take up baking or something like that. Oh, if you're, ouch. If you're talking about a locking nut, you have to go to Van Halen 2. That's when the Floyd's Rose Tremlo came out. There you go. Yeah, but what if the guy on TikTok discovers something great like, you know, Eddie uh -huh. Van Halen? Uh -huh. He won't. He won't. It's already been discovered. Uh, no, I don't done. know about that, but uh, the guy who's drilling holes, he won't. The other thing that I thought was really neat, and I just keep pointing things out, but you got to realize before the Strat, these things didn't exist. When you stick the cord into the, uh, the guitar... Notice on each one of these guitars, it goes in straight. It goes in straight. Right. Whereas on the Stratocaster, it goes in at an angle, so it's more flush to the body. Okay. I mean, something that silly. And the headstock, mm -hmm. what, what? I don't understand. Why does the headstock look like that? Turn it on its side and look at the headstock. It resembles a violin scroll. There uh, you go. Nice. There you go. Okay, well, I will get into other things. I just keep going on and on about all the advancements. Because it was insane. Insane. Richie Blackmore of Deep Purple played a Stratocaster exclusively. So he went ahead and composed maybe the best known riff ever on a guitar, which he might have stolen, but he did it on a Stratocaster. Smoke on the water on Rock School.
Coming into the first break. Really late. In October of 1954, that'd be 70 years ago today, $299 would get you a Strat with a vibrato bar. You didn't want the vibrato bar, $249, and it's what we call a stop tailpiece because it doesn't have the rocker arm, and it didn't work. For four years, they could not get this thing into the hands of guitarists. So if they weren't going to buy it, Leo Fender just started giving them away. He gave them to country and western swing players. The single coil, as I said before, just sounded great in that heavily treble stuff that they like. Also through this time, Fender apparently thought there was a problem with the neck. So he changed the shape from a C-neck. Think of a, a guitar neck. That shape in the back. Right. That kind of, when it gets to the fretboard, goes in a little bit. They call that a C-neck. Because if you look straight down the neck, it looks like a C. Then he tried a D-neck. Then he tried a V-neck, which literally has a point. And then he went back to the C. Blah, blah, blah. The problem was he couldn't get anyone to adopt it. Then... Sunday, December 1st, 1957, this little upstart band plays on Ed Sullivan. And everybody looked at this guy with the big, thick black glasses and went, what's that guitar he's playing? What, what is that? Who's listening to us? We'll tell you who it is after the break. WMCE Erie, PA. Beautiful. Back in a minute here on Rock School. out of the break, my guess is you can figure out who it was that played on Ed Sullivan. It was Buddy Holly. And they were just known as the Hollies at the time. Interestingly enough, Buddy Holly's last name is spelled H-O-L-L-E-Y. But when he signed the contracts to start making music professionally, the contract had his name misspelled, and they just thought it was easier to promote him with his name misspelled than changing the contracts. Oh, yeah. I'm not kidding you about that. Now, look, he was on Ed Sullivan, so you could only get a good look at the guitar for the time he was playing. But then their first album comes out, The Chirp and Crickets, November of 1957, and the guitar was no longer a gimmicky thing. It was a guitar that was proven. Here's Buddy Holly doing all that downstroke and playing, and people just looked at him and went, "Uh uh-oh. That sounds like, what is it? It could be rock and or roll, but I got to get myself a Stratocaster. And that's where it really started to take off. Buddy Holly on Rocks. All of my love, all of my kissing, you don't know what you've been missing. Oh boy, oh boy, when you're going to miss for me. 
Coming into the bottom of the hour, my name is Joe Burns. You are? Tammy Burns. Do you know who Hank Marvin is? Hank Marvin. Does the name ring a bell? Uh, I think uh, it's no? Hank Williams. No, no, no. Hank no. Marvin. It's not it's Hank a real, Williams. It's a real dude? It's a real guy. He was a guitarist, and he played with Cliff Richards in the UK. He's sort of a guitarist's guitarist. Gotcha. You know him if you love the instrument, but just as a casual music listener, you'd have a hard time getting into it. Then no, I don't know him. Cliff Richards was, was really popular, mm-hmm. and Hank Marvin was playing the guitars that you could get in the UK, and he kept lamenting that, geez, if I could just have one of those new Stratocasters. So Cliff Richards said to him, you got it. Order a Stratocaster and I'll pay for it. That was a dumb move. He didn't. Did he put a limit on it? No. Hank Marvin got the ca- the catalog because it used to be that you probably don't remember this. I used to get the Carvin catalog and a bunch of other stuff. You could buy instruments through that company's catalog. And Fender sent out a catalog. He got a hold of it, Hank Marvin. And there just so happened to be the most expensive Strat you could buy. It was in a what would you call a color that a company owns a proprietary it was in a proprietary color called fiesta red with actual gold hardware Uh oh! it's said to be the first stratocaster in the uk well maybe but i can tell you that it was easily the most expensive stratocaster that you could buy at the time and i'm sure when he showed up with the bill to cliff richards cliff's like Man, you gotta. You gonna gotta, tell me how much? Got a used one? I don't remember what he paid for it. I, I don't. I haven't found that. Two two twenty nine was what you would get in nineteen fifty four. So I'm gonna guess it was five six hundred dollars. But I don't know. All right, let's do seven days in seventy seconds. Here be the dates: January fifteenth, all the way through January twenty one. Tammy, you got Monday. Go. January fifteenth, nineteen seventy two. Don McLean's American Pie hits number one. January sixteenth, nineteen fifty seven. Little Richard records Lucille at JNM Music in New Orleans. January seventeenth, two thousand. Garth Brooks is named the nineteen nineties Artist of the Decade at the American. American Music Awards. Yeah, he was like Taylor Swift at that time. Everything oh, yeah. he touched turned to gold. January 18, 1975, Barry Manilow's Mandy hits number one in America. You know what the original name of the song was? No. Brandy. Oh, that's but not rem- bad. No, but remember, Brandy, you're a fine girl. Yeah. What a good wife. Yeah, so he changed it to Mandy. All right, there you go. January 19, 1971, The Beatles... Helter Skelter is played at Charles Manson's murder trial as evidence. January 20th, 1982, while performing at the Veterans Memorial Auditorium in Des Moines, Iowa, Ozzy bites the head off a bat. Dum da dum dum. January 21, 1979, Leonard Skinner reunite at the Volunteer Jam in Nashville, Tennessee. It's going to be the first time the band has played together since the 1977 plane crash. And that wraps up seven days in 70 seconds. The Fiesta Red on the guitar wasn't brand new, but because it was somebody of some infamy, it started to be the beginning of Fender customization. You could actually choose what you wanted, and Fender would make you the guitar. Now, they had something called a tricolor already. 
It's not a sunburst. Sunburst, the term, belongs to Gibson, but it was a tricolor in all of the finished things like the, the, the satin and what have you. But now that Fiesta Red one is out there. So other guitarists started coming up and going, I want a green that's only mine. I want a blue that's only mine. Wow. I want a pink that's only mine. It was all created by George Fullerton. Now, you probably don't know the name, but have you ever heard of G&L Guitars? You, you probably haven't. Those of you who are instrumentalists know G&L Guitars. The G in G&L stands for George as in George <laughs> Fullerton. So the 1959 catalog offered customizations for an add-on charge. You could get colors, finishes. You, they could make it look like a car. They could look, make it look like a cabinet. They could whitewash it. And then what do you want on top of it? You want polyurethane? Do you want a satin finish? Do you want a gloss finish? What about the hardware? You want silver? You want gold? You want fake gold? And you basically could pick out the guitar that you wanted. As a matter of fact, the Fender Custom Shop today has something that sounds dumb, but I really want. If you buy a new Fender, you can send it to their custom shop and they will beat the living crud out of it. So it will look like it is a stage-worn instrument when it arrives at your place. Wow. They've done the research about where body parts touch the guitar and such. You can go on, look at this on... YouTube, they literally take chains, they take scruffing material, and they beat the crap out of your brand new guitar. It's stupid. <laughs> but I want one. Uh, here you go. This is Cliff Richards. The guy on the guitar is Hank Marvin here on Rock School. Coming into the second break, there was for a while this belief system that if you played a certain kind of rock and roll, it had to be a Fender. If you played another certain kind of rock and roll, it had to be a Les Paul. The difference really is the pickups. So when did somebody say, how do I get a pickup from a Les Paul, either a PAF, which is a humbucker, PAF stands for patent applied for, or a P90, which was originally in a Les Paul. Think, think of a P90 as a very strong single coil pickup. In fact, it's, it's hard to play with because if you don't keep your hand on it, it buzzes. Oh, that's annoying. It is. But if you keep your hand on it, it really sounds good. And it records really, really well. I got a P90 in, in that guitar. I'm, I'm pointing. I know you can't see it in over there. But... Somebody had to say, why can't I have the playability of a Stratocaster? Because it is. It's easy to play. But the sound of a Les Paul, just shoehorn in this pickup. So many people, again, Eddie Van Halen, and so many people say, well, Eddie Van Halen was the first to do it. Oh, absolutely not. He was really the first high-profile person. It's like tapping. People get upset. You know, he didn't invent tapping. He never said he did. He was just the guy who popularized it. If, and this is a big if, uh, if you're looking for the first person who shoehorned a big 
humbucking pickup into a little Stratocaster body. It was probably Wayne Kramer of the MC5, as in kick out the jams. Am I right about that? I don't know. That's what a couple websites said. Not that, you know, the, and that led on to what was known as the Super Strat. And we'll talk about the Super Strat out of this break. Who is listening to us here on the Rock School Radio Show? WBSD, Burlington, Wisconsin. Actually, our first affiliate. Still running us. Hot dog. Back in a minute in Rock School. out of the break, I said that it was the MC5's Wayne Kramer that probably shoehorned a big honkin' pickup into a Stratocaster. See, now you can buy them that the little space that the uh, single coil pickup sits in, you can have a humbucker made that fits in that. And I mean, they can make anything today. As a matter of fact, if you look over at that Telecaster, that back pickup is a humbucker, but it fits in the same space as a Stratocaster pickup. Like I said, that idea of doing that, the playability of the Stratocaster and the sound of the Les Paul led to what's known as the Super Strat. Here's another thing that helped it. In 1965, Fender was sold to CBS. And if this interests you at all, all you have to do is go online and say, were the CBS Stratocasters as good as the ones that were made by Fender. And you will get a million people saying, absolutely not. And it wasn't that they were all bad. It just seemed dramatically inconsistent. When it was with Fender, it seemed like every instrument got TLC, whereas with CBS, it became, you know, this is our guitar division, and we're going to do our best over here. Did that affect sales? Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. And what harmed it even farther is when you get into the 80s, the Super Strat comes out. Charvel really was the big one. And when you watch certain guitarists, like, you know who Rat is, obviously? Oh, yeah. They're, they're really young, like 17, 18-year-old guitar whiz Warren Martini was not playing a Stratocaster. He's playing a Charvel. Jakey e. Lee with Ozzy Osbourne played a Charvel. The guy from Twisted Sister, George Lynch from Dawkin. They should be playing Stratocasters. It just was that the Stratocaster didn't have everything they wanted, so it sort of opened the door to this Super Strat. Kramer put them out as well. As a matter of fact, I believe it was Eddie Van Halen's... I keep coming back to him, but I won't play him. I believe it was Eddie Van Halen's first signature guitar. I could be wrong. But Kramer made the EVH with a droop headstock, and it was a Super Strat. That's all it was. The Yamaha Pacifica, the Smashing Pumpkins played them. The Carvin was, was played by Alan Holdsworth, Joe Walsh of, obviously, uh, James Gang and uh, Eagles? the Eagles. Yeah, Brain just couldn't come up with it. There's a whole bunch of knockoffs as well that hinted at being a Strat, like Steve Vai's Gem, any number of PRS guitars. But... The CBS thing, now it's it's back, It's it, the quality is back, it's either being made in America or Mexico, I, I don't know if they still have their Japanese uh, plant, 
They may. I don't know enough about it. Uh, I didn't even do the research for it. But you can now pick, because there are people that love American strats, and there are people that love the idea of, you know, a squire strat or other things like that. But yeah, they kind of allowed other companies to come in. And that wasn't that wasn't a great thing. Now look, I mentioned the guy from the MC5, so you go, the MC5, my rock Coming into the final break, happy birthday, Stratocaster, 70 years. I I like them. I, I really do. I love the playability. It's just I'm so stupidly big that they look like toys in my hands. Agreed. So I get a bigger guitar, and I just love the feel of a Les Paul. But I'll tell you what, sometimes when I'm playing real high notes on that Les Paul... Why can't I get a cutaway here? And what people are going to say is, you can. PRS makes a beautiful double cutaway, Les Paul-looking thing. It's not a Les Paul. <laughs> and that thought process goes to people who just love Fender instruments. Uh, my buddy Bill has a Jazzmaster, and I believe he does have a Red Stratocaster. And, it, I mean, they're, they're, they're beloved, absolutely, to the point where there are entire lists of just events in music that surround the Stratocaster. Get out. Dylan used a Strat when he went electric in 1965 at the Newport Folk Festival. In 1967, Monterey Pop, Jimmy lit his on fire. Jimi Hendrix also used a white one at Woodstock. That's where he played that famous uh, Star Spangled Banner. Uh, Clapton's Brownie recorded Layla. Clapton's Blackie, which was, again, a mongrel. It was put together by multiple pieces. It didn't come out that way. However, it was, for a short while, the most expensive guitar ever. He sold it for just under a million dollars, with proceeds going to his Crossroads Treatment Center in Antigua. David Gilmore of Point Flo uh, Pink Floyd may very well have the first commercially available Stratocaster. It has the 0001 serial number. Now, some people have fought, no, it's the first with this design. No, it's the first with this. No, it's the first. And, and that's fine. It's still one of the first, but it doesn't exist anymore because the original neck racked. Let me take a towel and make your top hand go over and your top hand go under and rip and that sort of twist. That's called racking. Uh-oh. So what he did is he pulled the, the neck off and he put a neck on it. And it played. And people were like, what are you doing? You destroyed 0001. And his answer was, what are you talking about? I wanted to play it. Ah. I'm sorry it was early, but... Bleh. The famous photo of Pete Townsend with his bloody hand, because he does those windmills, he cut it on a Strat vibrato bar. Oof. Stevie Ray Vaughan, Strat number one with the SRV on it. Everybody knows it. I mentioned it earlier in the show. Dick Dale. He started surf music with a Strat. Richie Blackmore wrote Smoke on the Water on a Strat. Grunge may have come to the mainstream with a Strat. Kurt Cobain played them a lot. He's not playing one in the Smells Like Teen Spirit video, but he was known for playing them all the time. I'll make you bet a lot of his grunge songs were written on a Strat. And then Ingve Mounstein, he's not the first, obviously, but he's really the first to bring it to prominence. He scalloped the neck of his fender. And you know what that means? 
between each of the frets, he took out wood. So when you put your finger on the fret, instead of your finger hitting wood, it's like a trampoline. It throws your finger back off. The tension throws wow. your finger back off. There you go. So there you go. You know, there's more to it, obviously, and I could have gotten into tremendously small minutia, but what's point? What's point? Happy birthday to the Stratocaster, and now I think I'm going to go buy one. You okay with ah, that? You okay with that? No. Wife who makes as much money or more money than I do. Stop it. That'll wrap it up. I'm Joe Burns. I'm Tammy Burns. All right. We're going to take the, it was for a while, the most expensive guitar ever sold, Blackie. It was used to record Layla. Here it is. Class is dismissed. <laughs>